0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, whatever the hell time of day it is. And welcome to the Wit and Whiskey cast as we are nearly wrapping up season two. I know, I know, you're sad, I'm sad, but fear not. For I am, as always, Mark Rossetti Jr. here with
1: the rye to my corn mash, DJ Gagnon. Hey everybody. Yeah, it's our penultimate episode of season two. It's it's a little bit bittersweet, but... You know, as Mark spoiled it last time, we will be back. We will be back. And, you know, we were thinking in the midst of our uh, drunken
0: Arnold impressions, uh, what haven't we done yet? So we decided to do potpourri or potpourri or, you know, potpourri sounds like a girl you pick up at the 7-Eleven off of the... Uh, anyway, no, but uh, we're going to do that. We're going to do a little bit of everything, a little bit of uh, uh, eclecticness, a little bit of nasal gazing, if, gazing, if you will. And uh, we also decided collectively this week that we hate ourselves, <laughs> and so we decided to tag
1: team and both go pretty goddamn deep into the well this week for our whiskey reviews. Oh yeah, I mean, we're scraping the bottom of the well today, folks, but you know, we wanted to bring to you some, some, uh, some budget whiskeys this week.
0: Yes. There are no uh, problems. There are only challenges.
1: Yes. Yeah. We we rose to the opportunity.
0: Oh, I'm just looking at the notes of yours. You may have gone further into the well than even me. Okay.
1: I I think I did, but...
0: (laughs) But we... We'll get there. Uh, We will. (laughs) Before we ruin everyone's day, what did you do this week?
1: Uh, You know, aside from some uh, family hiccups this week, uh, I got into some, some cooking experiments and... Um, I, you know, I've had the black garlic going for two weeks now, uh, and that should be really exciting when it, when it comes out in another two to three weeks. Uh, but I've been reading this really amazing cocktail book off and on, uh, because I'm a huge cocktail nerd and, uh, it's called the cocktail codex. Uh, so I don't know if anybody out there has read it. Uh, it's this really nice, like coffee table book that's got, um, It's not just pictures, it's just, it's 350 drink recipes, and it's this really interesting book around, like, bar science and cocktail science. And the book posits that, much like the five Italian mother sauces, that there are actually only six cocktails in total, and every other cocktail is derivative of those six. So, uh, it's, they set up their, their premise, and then they, have just a ton of these weird little tidbits throughout of like, hey, we're in the highball section, and here's how to make carbonated highballs, and while we're here, let's talk about carbonation and give you some science. Uh, so this week, I uh, on one of those little tidbits, they had a description of how you could use uh, an ISI whipped cream canister and CO2 cartridges to not carbonize uh, carbonate liquid, but to carbonate fruit. Um, okay.
0: Uh, why? <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know. I'm doing it right now. Uh, I, they, they literally were like, here's a thing you can do, and there's a lot of uses for it. We recommend trying it out as a fun new garnish, or maybe adding it to a normal cocktail to fizz it up a little bit. And I was like, this seems pointless. I'm going to do it. So I got out my ISI canister and, um, the, the method that they recommend is you use something small that isn't a berry because the pressure will just shatter berries. So I went with, uh, white grapes or green grapes, depending on, it's white grape juice, but green grapes, never Um, and I sliced a bunch of grapes in half, threw them into the canister and then screwed on the top. And then you hold open the canister while you charge it with one CO2 cartridge to flush all the normal air out. And then you swap cartridges, close the valve, and you charge it again. And then you put put it in a water bath. And they say you can do it uh, for like an hour up to overnight. I'm going to do it like three or four hours tonight and then uh, screw it off and see what I get. Uh, But my plan is to kind of try and use them to make like, a cross between a sangria and a spritzer this week. That actually
0: sounds really good.
1: Yeah. I, I figure we're going to hit 70 in New Hampshire after getting just some wildly inappropriate snow for April. Uh, so I, I figured a nice, refreshing drink. I'll, I'll make some sort of, like, cranberry grape kind of spritzer. Maybe I'll throw in, um, I don't know, throw in a little bit of brandy. Nod to your dad.
0: He'd be all about it.
1: Yeah, so that—that's what I've been getting up to. More and more food experiments. I'm planning on getting into uh, a tiny bit of fermentation this summer. So I'm I'm researching how to mu- like make your own homemade sodas using yeast uh, because I get bored really easily. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs>
0: Well, this is what happens when you leave the bunny around with you know tools and materials and a
1: lot of free time on his hands. It's true yeah uh, i I go into the lab. But what about you, buddy? What's your week been like? There are a few people that you know
0: have adapted better than others to working from home, but I think I think you going back to the office wouldn't be the worst thing in the world in a few months <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just just
1: say it. <laughs> I haven't totally gone mad scientist. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: God. I haven't really done anything this week. And it's uh, kind of interesting because the wife and I, uh, we both had a a little chat uh, the other night that we're both kind of in a little malaise. Yeah. Uh, We're both kind of just in a... Eh... Perspective. Um, I currently have about, you know, ten or, and maybe not that many, six to eight books open, real books, ongoing at once, not counting comics, which I never. I'm usually a person. I read one book till it's finished. Get another one. Read one book till it's finished. Get another one. But I've, you know, have all these books in different phases of reading. I have no real interest in finishing it. I have plans to rearrange the bar and comic room again. No real interest in even starting it. I have enough actual whiskeys now from the uh, now 29 different varieties that I have upstairs. A few of them are low enough that I can actually begin the Infinity Bottle, which I want to do, but I'm like, eh, then you gotta measure and you have to take notes. It's just too much work. And so she's pretty much the same way. We don't know what's wrong with us. We figure, you know, once it gets a little bit warmer, we'll find some motivation. But uh, for right now, and this is going to sound really terrible, the only thing that really gets me excited is whiskeys, bourbons, whatnot. You know, my mother called me the other day. She's like, oh, my friend had a couple extra bottles of this whiskey. So I, I picked you up a bottle, you know, I'll get drop it off at your house. And I was like, oh, yay, free whiskey. So I'm not an alcoholic, I swear. DJ <laughs> isn't a mad scientist. I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, no, we're both
1: perfectly normal. It's fine.
0: Yes, uh, we were able, though, because I did get my first shot of the vaccine and the wife got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine before they shut it down. So she's one and done. Um, we were able to actually go out to dinner somewhere uh, for the Ooh. first time since October or no, even longer than that. Uh, you know, so better part of a year. First, first time in the better part of a year, we're actually to go out and sit down in a restaurant uh, so we did do that this weekend, and that was actually really nice. And I was able to try a, a nice whiskey cocktail, although they didn't give me the piece of candied bacon with it. I was a little pissed off about that. And the menu, it said it came with a piece of candied bacon,
1: but so it goes. That's fair. Uh, I mean, I'm really glad you guys got to get out. Yeah, you know,
0: we... We made a night of it, we went to, and this is going to sound so white trash, but we went to the uh, casino nearby and went to one of the nice restaurants there, you know, sat down, had a nice meal, then they have a kind of fancy bakery, and we bought dessert in the bakery, and then we walked through the stores, and the wife's birthday is within 120 days or so, which means, you know, everywhere we go, she's like, hey, this would be good for my birthday, hey, this would be good for my birthday. So she found a watch she liked in one of the stores, so I got that for her for her birthday. Oh, very nice. And, you know, that'll only slightly reduce the, the talking and the hints. It's not going to eliminate it,
1: but, you know.
0: It'll just be smaller gifts now that she'll be like, hey, this is big get for my birthday, even though you already got me a watch. <laughs> but, all right, speaking of, you know, just terrible, nagging, burning sensations, we have the wife's
1: birthday, and then what did
0: you pick for your
1: well whiskey? <laughs> uh, well... I, I don't, I've never had this brand before. I literally went to the liquor store and I decided I wanted to do a flavored whiskey. And I've talked about my uh, bad experiences with Jim Bean in the past. So I basically had Jim and Jack and Bird Dog, which I've already done. And then I saw this on the shelf. So I'm drinking Evan Williams Honey. Uh, It is a, I think I got it for $13, Uh, so it is a pretty cheap bottle. You beat me. (laughs) Yeah, I I did look it up. You can get it shipped to your house for uh, (laughs) $14.61. God damn it. Um, So, uh, I think this may have just been uh, a bad choice all around, (laughs) because when Mark said we should go to Lowell, I heard... You should hit the bottom and keep digging.
0: Yeah. You heard. You hate yourself, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, So I'm drinking it over ice. I've already had a few sips and uh, I gotta cut it with something because this, I'm gonna wake up with a headache in the morning. It's too damn sweet. Um, Come to find out, it's Evan Williams bourbon actually infused with a honey liqueur, not just infused with honey. So. Yeah, it's uh it's 70 proof um you know if you're making like a jungle juice or, or something for like a party uh i mean this might go well with something like that uh if you if you you know want to kind of get out there after being vaccinated and and have uh you know have a drink that you can pass around this was probably a decent base for it but um if, you've just, if you and your friends have
0: all been vaccinated and you all want to get sick again, drink yeah. Evan Williams, uh, But I,
1: I brought up a ginger ale because they recommend that cutting it with ginger ale is a good idea. That definitely helps. Um, it's just, I've gotten to the point now in my whiskey journey where I can, it, like, a good whiskey for me is one that, you know, is whiskey. And a bad whiskey for me is one that leaves, a, like, a syrupy residue on my tongue. And uh, I it's like the pizza equation right now. Like, there's just a group of bad, and then there's probably good. And I will refine my whiskey palate more over time. But um, I don't know. I... I feel like there's a market for this. I'm just enjoying
0: this. listening to you talk about. this. Yeah,
1: I, I feel like there's definitely a market for this, and I would be willing to to try like a Jack Daniel's Apple or a Jim Beam Honey or something like that. But I think I think the ship sailed on this for me about ten years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've had some flavored whiskeys before. I mean, you know, uh, working at Conrad's, we we were big in the Crown Apple. We would sell a lot of the Crown Apple. Um, Lou went through a crown maple kick for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jack Daniels used to make a uh, seasonal Christmas apple cider whiskey mashup thing. Those were all fine for what they were. I mean, they're not my cup of tea. You know, they're not something I'm going to run out and buy, but you know, if somebody's ordering shots and you know, they hand you one, Okay. Even for me, someone who's not a fan of it, don't let what you're drinking now spoil you on the
1: whole. No, yeah. So I I would say not to, not to completely just dunk on Evan Williams. It there's definitely a market for this, right? Like I we're sitting here and we generally review whiskeys, scotches, bourbons that are you know generally not cut with anything. Uh, so for for my palate at least, I am gra- I gravitate more towards like a nice rye or, like, uh, you know, for me, a good infusion is, like, a sherry or pork cask. Um, the, the flavored whiskeys, there's definitely a market for this. There's definitely people out there, I think, would really enjoy this. Um, I, I think if you're the kind of person who's into flavored vodkas or, or fruity drinks and you're curious about whiskey, uh, I, I think I could probably say go try one of these, like, flavored whiskeys, uh, I might recommend starting with, like, a jack apple or, or something like that instead. What about you, buddy? What are you drinking? Well, I,
0: uh, I decided to, you know, uh, just going by our statistics and some of our feedback from our listeners, uh, all of our guests have been popular, but it seems like the old man really struck a chord. Uh, as, <laughs> yes. as he's known to do when he comes on. It's true. Anywhere. Uh, and he had been nagging me. Uh, he wanted four roses and four roses and four roses and four roses. Uh, and when I had gone out to the store to buy the whiskey we were going to review, they had four roses for a whopping uh, 12 dollars a bottle. And I just said, no, I'm not feeling it. I'm not going into the well for this episode, blah, blah, blah. And so we reviewed the Kinsey, and it was fine. When you and I got together and said, oh, we're, we're going to dig into the well... I know you, I love you, you're one of my dearest friends, but you are a very competitive individual. <laughs> yeah. So I knew you were going to take that as a personal challenge <laughs> to find the absolute worst thing you could find. And I said, well, I might not beat him, but I have to come close. <laughs> yeah. And so we, uh, we went, I went back and, and bought a bottle of Four Roses. Interestingly enough, it uh, was no longer twelve ninety nine a bottle. Uh, the lady told me, "Oh no, the sale is over." Oh no! So I had to pay full price for, uh, which is fourteen ninety nine a bottle, or uh, fifteen eighty eight with the Pennsylvania state taxes. Nice. And, you know, Four Roses is bourbon. It's one of the earliest whiskeys I've ever, ha- I ever had. I think I was 15, 16 years old, the first time my old man let me have some because there was always a bottle of it in the house. Mm. And I remember him very vividly telling a young high school age me, this is cowboy whiskey. And, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a good fucking way of putting it. You know, it's, it proudly boasts on the label that it was started to be brewed in 1888, you know, the, near the end of the Old West. And the label has... Uh, it's some some places you find, when you go online and you look it up, they refer to it as yellow label because they make it look all parchmenty and they make it look ripped and hand-done. I mean, it's all done on a machine. It's all mass-produced. But they try to make it look old-school and hand-drawn. Uh. It's interesting, you know, I'll let you a little, let our listeners in a little bit behind the corner uh, curtain here. I don't know how DJ does it, but when I review a whiskey, I drink some of it uh, beforehand to, to get my palate up, you know, see what I can instantly pick up. And then when we review the show, we have a glass, obviously, as we talk to you. And that's usually when I pull up a few other reviews to see what I hit on, what I missed, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and you look and you're like, yeah, I taste that. Okay, I don't really taste that. Where in the hell are they coming up with that? I had to pull up a bunch of reviews of Four Roses days ago because I got nothing. Yeah? This tastes like turpentine. Really? (laughs) This is just fire from the beginning to the end to the end. And it's hysterical because as you pull up different reviews, you could tell everyone was struggling in the same way I was. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to read you some highlights from a few reviews here. Uh, The appearance. Four Roses has an appearance that is of a yellow quality to it, much like its label itself. (laughs) Uh, From a different review. On your nose, it will smell like bourbon. I know, this isn't saying a lot, (laughs) but some bourbon smells more of bourbon than others. (laughs) Um, Most places listed in the $20 to $25 range, I have never seen it for anything more than $17.99 a bottle, and we pay so much for fucking whiskey here in Pennsylvania, so I don't know where the hell these people are buying it from. Uh, one person uh, on their website tried to suss it up as, Four Roses is the little black dress of bourbon. You can yeah. dress it up, or you could just throw it on after oversleeping, and not only will you still make it work, you'll also make it look good. <sighs> I guess. Um, There is a market for this. Much like you said, there's a market for the Evan Williams honey. There is a market for uh, four roses. It's for people that want to get drunk. Oh, totally. (laughs) Do you just want to forget your name, fall over, wake up somewhere that you don't remember, possibly with a stranger of some description that you were trying to court? Mm. Four roses is for you.
1: (laughs) You know, I, I will say something for the Evan Williams. I think it could be great as just a two-ingredient hot toddy. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I I will say one small uh, correction. Technically, the Evan Williams Honey Reserve is not labeled a bourbon. It's technically a Kentucky liqueur made with aged bourbon and infused with real honey. (laughs) So it's technically listed as a reserve liqueur. I'm still counting it because it's it was definitely in the bourbon section sitting right next to their normal bourbon well I mean there you go I mean four
0: roses is considered a bourbon officially even though it is 75 percent corn uh, <laughs> it's also it's also 25 percent or twenty percent rather rye and only five percent barley uh, the other problem is and I say problem they proudly talk about they have five per- proprietary easy for me to say five proprietary strains of yeast all in the same bottle all duking it out (laughs) so basically you just get yeast and alcohol
1: yeah yeah i mean let's not get too hoity-toity here i mean there are definitely episodes where we're reviewing some really nice whiskeys but next week is gonna be one of them (laughs) yeah yeah oh i've already picked up mine too it it was recommended by uh, a fan of the show so Uh, I will say that these whiskeys we're reviewing are probably really good for, like, going camping. Taking for, like, a, you know, uh, taking for a um, pre-gaming, pre-gaming a race, pre-gaming a a show, pre-gaming a game. Um, Whatever you want to do in terms of, like, going out there and and throwing the burgers and the dogs on the on the grill, uh, having people over for a backyard barbecue after everybody's vaccinated of course. Um, I think these are great like grab it, throw it together with a mixer, it probably makes a really good drink. It's I wouldn't recommend Evan Williams or Four Roses as just a sitting there sipping whiskey, but they're definite I mean they definitely have their place.
0: No, they do and um you know, uh- Many times when I was racing, you know, uh, you have a big weekend race, you know, Saturday you qualify all day, Saturday night you're sitting around the campfire. We were passing around many a bottle of uh, Four Roses, many a bottle of Corby's, which we, you know, slag on regularly here on the WW, and uh, many a bottle of Old Times whiskey, which again, just, ugh. (laughs) But that being said, if me from 10 years ago when I still had hair and was in a little bit better shape walked in the door and heard some of these things that I'm saying about these whiskeys, he'd probably kick my ass. Yeah, fair. You know, uh, uh, the old man was making fun of me a lot in the run up to and immediately after his appearance on the show saying, you know, you've changed, man. You've sold out now. You only drink good stuff. uh, Maybe maybe it's true, especially compared to who I was in college. It's definitely true.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, my palate's definitely changed too over the years. I feel like it also depends on like, are you willing or able to put some money into into your whiskey? You know, I I probably spend between twenty and and forty dollars a week on on the whiskey for the show, and you know that's within my means. We definitely don't want to say that that's the norm for everybody. So no. No, and
0: I mean, and if you're, you know, whether you're higher or you're lower, whatever you're at, that might come up or that might come down. I mean, that absolutely was not where I was even a few years ago. Um, You know, but it's everything adjusts. Whiskey, to me, is one of the things you can really taste the difference in as you go up in price. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife and I argue constantly because we go to the grocery store, and if she does the grocery shopping, she buys all name brand shit, and the bill's like three hundred and fifty dollars, and I'm running around just freaking out. And if I go to the store, you know, I just buy all the store brand stuff, and blah blah blah. But there are a few things that you could taste a difference. I peanut butter. You don't want to buy shitty peanut butter. You don't want to buy shitty bacon. <laughs> um, coffee. But yeah, whiskey is another one, you know, whether you like whiskey, whether you like scotch, whether you like bourbon, you can notice the difference. Yeah. And, you know, every now and then it's nice to just treat yourself, as the kids say.
1: Yeah. And, and as part of dipping into the well, uh, I, the one thing I will say here for whiskey is if you're on a budget and you want to try to get into newer whiskeys, different whiskeys, you want to treat yourself, you know, you had to rough week at work or or your it's your birthday or something uh always check out the nip section at the liquor store and yes i i feel like not nearly enough people shop the nips because it's kind of got this like you know college or drunk you know sneak it in your coat to a party but uh, I recently just went through the nips, um, I mean, back in the episode that I did Whistlepig, I didn't buy a w- bottle of Whistle Pig. I bought a nip because I knew that I liked that Whistle Pig. and, um, I mean, it, what's, Johnny Walker Blue is like, isn't it like a $200 bottle? It's about two fifty yeah. in PA if uh, you could find it. Yeah, uh, I found Nips. Now you have to get the case unlocked and they have to give it to you, but you can get a nip of this two hundred and fifty dollar bottle of whiskey for twenty bucks, and it's I mean that's a nice glass of whiskey. You can you can sip it. You can ha- you know celebrate something nice. So. If you're on a budget and you d- you're you despairing that, oh my God, there's so many whiskeys out there and I'm listening to this podcast and I can't afford any of these bottles they're talking about, go to the nip section. Like they've got 10, 15, 20 year aged whiskeys just sitting there in these tiny bottles that are perfect for one glass. And that's a great way to kind of expand your whiskey palette. No, absolutely. And, and nips are
0: actually kind of fun. I did an experiment a few years ago On my mother's side of the family, you know, my mother was one of eight kids, and, you know, her and all my aunts and uncles pretty much are all married, and they all had kids, and I'm pretty much, like, the only one of the grandchildren that hasn't had great-grandchildren already, so when we go to my mother's side of the family for holidays, it's fucking huge. it's just it's chaos, just utter chaos. And we used to do a Christmas draw because it's like if you just buy things for people, for everyone, you're going to go fucking broke and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Well, for the one year, I pulled out of the draw and I just bought a big bag of nips. I just went to the liquor store and I told the lady, I'm like, here's like $100. Just (laughs) fill this bag. And I made people blind draw nips
1: as their Christmas present. That's amazing.
0: And at first, everyone was like, oh, ha, ha. And then as it went on, like a few weeks later and everything, I was getting texts and calls from my cousins. They're like, oh, I had never tried this before, and it was really good, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so, yeah, don't don't rag on nips. Nips are where it's at. It's a good way to experiment. And, I mean, they could be a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, it's...
1: Yeah, it's a great way. I mean, our, our nip section at the liquor store here in, in the Shire, uh, the one closest to me, it's like two huge cases. Like, there's... Uh, probably hundred and fifty different bottles on it um, and it's a great way of like like if you're on a budget and you know you you know you're gonna save for a while for one nice bottle of whiskey so you can have it on nice occasions that's a great way to find your one nice bottle of whiskey Oh yeah but I do see that we might have some whiskey news this week
0: Well, sort of uh, it, it's interesting you know I was going through looking for something. Uh, before we recorded, and I came across one of the great debates in Whiskey Oh, um, You know, if if you're one of our regular listeners of the podcast, chances are you have more than a passing fancy in the brown libation. Let's just be honest here. Um, you know, you, you might not take it to the extremes as we do, or you might be more hardcore than we are, or you might be somewhere in the middle, but chances are... You know, that's what you say. Our charming personalities aren't (laughs) what's keeping you (laughs) here, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, and if you're in that subset right now in the uh, bourbon and whiskey uh, collecting, and I hate that term because you don't collect whiskeys, but regardless, in the bourbon and whiskey collecting uh, subset, collecting world, there is a fierce debate going on right now over the neck pour. Not the neck beard, although most of the people arguing about it have neck beards, myself included. Um, but uh, that's not f- what we're talking
1: about. What is a neck pour?
0: Well, <laughs> allegedly, a neck pour is the very first pour out of a bottle when you first crack open, you know, a bottle of whatever, whether it be Wild Turkey One Hundred and One, whether it be, you know, Whistle Pig, or whether it be the Johnny Walker Blue. No matter what, you know, the first pour you have usually when they fill the bottle, they get it right up to the bottom of the neck. Uh So the first pour is uh, sitting in the neck. Uh Now, to certain individuals, and usually these individuals are the people who don't talk about what they're drinking online, they communicate in letters. So your first pour of JD or your first pour of JWB Etc., etc., and if you do that, just know that literally everyone
1: hates you. Uh huh. Everyone. Yeah, I hate, I, this, there's, a I whole hate myself new, for doing that bit, there's, but there's just, a whole nother category of people I now hate. Thanks, Mark.
0: Yes. No, yeah, so just know if you've ever typed that on a message board, literally everyone you've ever known hates you and just wants horrible things to happen to you. But regardless, um, the first pour of whatever you pour, according to these individuals, is inferior because it's sitting up in the neck, and it's not resting, and it's not getting the proper amount of oxygen. So it is, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fashionable in these circles. Let's say I have you down to uh Pennsylvania, once this is all over, DJ. And I have a new bottle of rye that you haven't tried yet, and I'm going to crack it open. But since you haven't tried it yet, I don't want this first pour to influence your... Uh, Decision making. So I'm going to hand you the glass, and I'll just pat you on the hand as I hand you the glass, and look into your eyes very seriously, and go. Just know, this is the neck pour. Is the neck pour supposed to be better or worse? It's allegedly worse. The problem with this theory is science. And there are well, yes, there are some exceptions to this. But 90% of all whiskeys, and, of course, we're talking about whiskey, bourbon, scotch, rye, brown (laughs) liquor, 90% of them, if not more, do not aerate. They -hmm. do not oxidize. That's what they're in the cask for. Once they're bottled, that's it. It's over.
1: Yeah, it's the biggest, like, con in history, right, of, like, putting a, you know, a $10 bottle of scotch on the shelf and waiting 10 years to drink it does nothing. Like, glass is literally non-reactive. Yes,
0: and um, I learned all this early when I started getting into decanters. I buy decanters just because I like the way they look. I think they're neat. You know, they give off a nice supervillain vibe. They class up the bar a little bit. And, um, you know, they, don't, they help not influence people. I mean, if you see a label of something, uh, if you're not really into the game, you know, it's, it's going to be... It's going to influence you. I mean, the minute the old man sees scotch anything, he's just not going to want to drink it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I pull a decanter off the shelf, he doesn't know what it is, and I'll hand him a glass and just say, just drink this, and then I'll tell him what it is. Uh, but the minute I started getting into decanters, everyone online, I don't know why you're wasting your money. The the, the whiskey isn't going to do anything. It's not going to oxygenate. I, 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 I know. I don't. I don't care. I just, this one's cool. <laughs> like, I like the way this one looks. <laughs> for fuck's sakes. So, but then some most of these same people and the other breath will tell you that the neck pour is no good. So if the whiskey isn't going to get any more oxygen and it's not going to age in a decanter, what makes them think that the little bit of whiskey in the top of the neck is going to be bad?
1: So uh, let me just solve this here and now for everybody forever. If I ever if I ever have you over my house and I crack open a new bottle of whiskey, before I crack it open, I'm gonna shake it vigorously, and then there <laughs> will be no thought whatsoever as to whether you're getting the neck pour. The whole Wait. bottle will be a little bit worse. You're can, welcome.
0: Can we can we hook up your uh, whipped cream canister though, and can we ox, uh, you know pressurize it and make it like champagne but whiskey? Why has
1: nobody done carbonated whiskey before?
0: I don't know. I have to Google that. If they're for season three, if there's carbonated whiskey, I'm ordering a bottle. I don't give a fuck how much it is. I want a
1: bottle. I, I'll just do it. I have an, <laughs> I, I have the whipped cream canister. I will just carbonate some whiskey. Let, let's let's fucking go. Uh, you know, t- to spoil the
0: future a little bit, we are going to do some trailers like we did between seasons one and season two. And we have been debating doing sort of a silly special. And I have that, one unopened nip from god only knows when maybe if i drink that maybe you could drink some
1: carbonated whiskey <laughs> that would be a good special oh my god i there's apparently someone did no i can't go into this somebody did it with a soda stream and now I, that's all i want to do now lou has a soda stream i I'm do too that out there oh god <laughs> okay all right. Well, I've been trying to find an
0: excuse for the wife to buy a soda stream. So test it out. Let me know how it's going. Go. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, that, no, that's just so the neck pour is, is not a thing. And I mean, you know, we try not to yuck any yums on here. We try not to just put anybody down, but
1: it's just basic chemistry, bro.
0: It's not a thing.
1: Yeah. Unless it's something that you've dropped some some cubes of wood into the bottle with, that shit don't matter. So once again, we have a horribly
0: toxic fandom. Yeah. It's it's increasing here. And then just one quick note, I did finally crack open the Tupperware container and I smoked one of the infused cigars that I created. And? It was very good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. You did get quite the uh, bourbon, or rye taste rather. I used some dad's hat. I used some good local Pennsylvania rye. Uh, You got a hit of it. Every time you took a draw, Uh, I liked it. It was very good. I don't know if it was worth the seven weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll pay
1: the money and have someone else do it for me. That's because I'm an American. I mean, if you had other cigars to smoke, it's probably worth it. Well, yeah. And I mean,
0: I do have I mean, I have a locker at a local cigar club. I have a humidor at my house. I didn't need those those ones that I did. But still, at the same time, it's like this is good. This is really good, but is this seven weeks good?
1: (laughs) Well, there you go, folks. Not worth it. Mark Rossetti.
0: Yeah, and and that's the sad part is because it's literally no work at all. You pour two shot glasses uh, full of your favorite liquor. You put the shot glasses and the cigars in a Tupperware container, and you literally forget about it for a month and a half. That's still not worth it. (laughs) But all right, take us to our bloody fucking topic. Yeah, yeah. What, we're, pot, what we're, potpourri do you have for this?
1: Yeah, so uh, I saw that you quoted your, your category, so I want to do the same thing. I don't know if that's a Jeopardy thing, because I don't watch a whole lot of Jeopardy, but... No, no, That
0: uh, that is where the original title for today's episode came, folks. If you're fans <laughs> of Jeopardy, you know potpourri is often a, a thing they just throw in there. No, I was quoting... My topics, just because again, I was writing my notes during my malaise, so <laughs> um, I don't think my actual rants today are going to be as well ranty <laughs> as they were. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. That's fair.
1: So the the first uh, potpourri topic I came up with, uh, I called umami. Umami, uh, just because <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh, but my first you topic. You can tell
0: it's near the end of the season, can't yeah, you, folks? Yeah. We're getting a little slappy here. Uh,
1: my my first topic is actually on this really cool thing I recently learned about called the Maillard Reaction. Have you ever heard of this? Uh,
0: that's a type of duck, right? No, no it's a okay. mallard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, the Maillard Reaction, is some really great cooking science. And at some point next season, I'm going to do an episode about cooking because I am just absolutely obsessed and I have been for like 15 years. Um, but, uh, we've, you guys have heard me talk about kind of mentioning black garlic at this point, and I wanted to go into that as a topic a little bit, and as I started doing research about the origins of black garlic and blah, 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 I actually found this way more interesting side of cooking I wanted to talk about, which is the Maillard reaction. The Maillard reaction is responsible for some of our favorite flavors, it's responsible for, for uh, browning meat. It's responsible for that char taste on burgers. It's responsible for that, like, toasty, malty flavor of bread. It's you responsible- almost said malk. I, I almost, <laughs> shut up. Uh, <laughs> it's mm. responsible for caramelization of, like, onions and, and peppers and things like that. And it's actually responsible for that bitter taste of black coffee.
0: Okay, I'm listening.
1: Yeah. So the Maillard reaction, uh, it's a really complex scientific process. And it's kind of this crazy thing that happens. Uh, and it's its actually so complex that science doesn't actually fully understand what it is yet. But it's responsible for what we kind of consider as an umami flavor, that, that meaty complex flavor that you get when you when you char a steak or uh when you cook mushrooms uh and you kind of brown mushrooms you know that that kind of indescribable it's not sour it's not salty it's 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 not spicy it's it's that like fifth mystery flavor and it's ultimately responsible for a lot of things um So for anybody who's into cooking, you may have heard of a cooking process called sous vide. Uh, Have you ever heard of this, Mark? I have not. Okay, so sous vide is a a process by which you um, put something in a self-contained container bag, whatever it is, and you put it in a water bath that you keep at a constant temperature, and it will slowly cook that thing and get it up to but won't go past the temperature that you that, that you're using so you know you could you could cook chicken and just like set your water bath to 165 degrees and the chicken will never overcook and a lot of people do this with steaks and with other things as well and what you'll notice is if you just sous vide a piece of meat It tastes juicy and succulent and kind of bland. Uh, So a lot of people, what they do is, uh, if they want to cook a steak and they want to cook it like medium or medium rare, they know what that temperature is supposed to be and they set their water bath to that temperature. And then after a certain amount of time, they take it out of the water bath, they take it out of its bag or its container, and they sear it. And you get the, all of the nice, complex flavors that you get from, from really tender meat, but you also get that, that umami flavor, that, that sear, the, the browning of the meat. You can kind of put butter on it and all sorts of good, good crap. And the reason why there's such a flavor difference is because of the Maillard reaction. Uh, searing a steak versus, I mean, I don't know anybody who bakes a steak, uh, I mean, I yeah. honestly i I don't know any recipes I've found that uh,
0: well, is country fried steak baked like after you put the breading and everything on? You it? know, that's
1: fair. that's that's fried. i don't I've never had it. Um, but that's that okay. Is, yeah,
0: it, it, I mean it's it's not my favorite thing, but it's not awful. It's okay.
1: no, and it's it's the reason the mired reaction is why if you're if you're cooking a beef stew, you generally will um, you'll sear the the cuts of meat before you throw it into the soup pot. And the whole idea is that the mired reaction seals in this this flavor and it gives it this kind of interesting quality that as it goes into the beef stew, it doesn't just the the flavor doesn't leak into the rest of the soup completely. You still have flavor in those in those chunks of meat. And it's the mired reaction is a lot of these really small simultaneous Reactions happening between the surface proteins, the sugars, and the amino acids that only really happen with the application of heat. So, uh, you know, you you char some vegetables. You the the best way to kind of see the Maillard reaction, unfortunately, is to caramelize onions. Which I don't know anybody who can caramelize onions correctly in under a half an hour. So it takes a long time. But the slower you let the mired reaction happen, the, the more interesting flavors build up in in whatever you're cooking. Um, and, and there's you know I, I've tried cooking steaks like dozens and dozens of different ways at this point. And my favorite go-to way of cooking a steak is two and a half minutes seared in a hot pan with oil each side. And then, you know, I throw in a sprig of thyme or a sprig of rosemary, do some butter, some garlic, and I kind of baste it with that hot butter for like a minute and a half before I just let it sit on a cutting board for a few minutes. And the reason is you just get that really nice sear, and the, the higher the temperature of your oil is, the quicker it sears the outside of the steak, and the, the, the juicier your steak is, it locks in that flavor, And it's because as the the heat applies to the protein and the sugars and the amino acids, they kind of create this really interesting barrier around the meat that doesn't happen if you you cook it uh, slowly. Now, I'm going to completely blow away that entire argument in talking about black garlic because black garlic is just an incredibly slow way of, of doing the Myard reaction. And the, the reason why it works with black garlic is because, A, it's sealed inside the the skin of the, the garlic cloves, and then you tend to seal it. I, I wrapped my garlic cloves in uh, a layer of, of clean cling film, cling film, uh, the hell is it called? Reynolds. Saran wrap? Saran wrap, there you go. Um and then two layers of foil, so it really locks in that moisture. And the whole thing behind the Maillard reaction is you have to have some moisture to lock in. You know, you, you can't slow roast toast. It doesn't work. Uh, but the one really interesting thing I found out about the Maillard reaction is that, that uh, the, the chemical process that happens and the smell that happens because of it uh, actually triggers some really deep down uh, signals within the human brain, and it's why we started cooking food in the first place. Um, the, it, it triggers... Well, you know, that and to not get botulism. Well, that too, but le- like that <laughs> leads into it. The, the, the smell of something being seared triggers uh, a signal in your brain that tells you, A, nutrition is on the way, so you start to salivate, and the other signal that it does is the safety signal, because uh, it, it that smell, that um, flavor profile, all of those particles in the air, it triggers to tell you, "Oh, this food is safe. I don't have to worry about getting a disease." So that well,
0: mess- clearly, any scientist that has studied the the myoid reaction has never smelled my mm-hmm. wife's cooking. Um, there's a reason why I do the cooking in this house because there, there's no safety signals going up when she's going to town. Let me tell you, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of reactions in cooking. I'm only talking about one of them, but yeah, it's it, it's really interesting. I mean, it's uh, probably the reason why we love barbecue and and uh, you know grilling so much in in the West because it's just a really quick way to get that kind of reaction. But anywho, that that's my topic, the mired my- reaction. Go check it out, folks.
0: Well, I'm gonna have to bring this up with my father-in-law, uh, you know, the next time I'm up there because he is a man. He watches the Food Network like most men watch porn. <laughs> um, and any time they talk about you know a new new way of cooking or a new temperature mm-hmm. or a new reaction or, or this or that,
1: and uh, he's all about it. So I'll have to quiz him the next time I'm up there. You should. It, it's relatively new that we're talking about the Maillard reaction. Like, everyone's known about caramelization and, and stuff for years and years and years and years and years. But the Maillard reaction is just starting to be understood as to what's actually happening when you, when you roast or you, you sear or something like that. Would you say that it's hoodoo? I would say it's hoodoo. <laughs> It's magic, and it's wonderful, and you should know how to wield it appropriately. Great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's Mage Hand.
0: <laughs> well, I can't think of a better segue for my first topic. Yes. Now, we did not plan this this way. Uh, I had some technical difficulties, and by technical difficulties, I mean I physically did not have a computer on my person. Because, just long story... Uh, But we're recording today, April 18th, 2021. And DJ, do you know what today is without Googling it? I don't. Today is the anniversary of the release of a little old comic book called Action Comics Number One. Oh, very nice. Nice. Um, there are some people to this day that still insist it came out on May 10th. Those are the same people that just write initials for their whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, they're wrong. They've always been wrong. I don't know why people insist this. It's April 18th.
1: But regardless. America, I really think we should be careful about that neck pour of your next bottle of JD. <laughs> I Yes. <laughs> uh,
0: so, okay. So, aside from the fact that, you know, Action Comics number one came out today... Who cares? Well, my first topic is on why you should collect comics and not grades, yeah, and the, this yes. whole movement that is really starting to bubble to the surface uh, amongst collectors. And this was originally uh, spawned by last week a copy of Action Number One selling for a new record. Now it was a private sale, but it's a new record for the most valuable comic ever sold. million. Woof. Uh, And it's graded as an 8.5, which is a scale of 1 to 10. And, you know, it's the third highest grade of the maybe 100 to 150 issues of action comics that are left. And, you know, it's the first superhero comic and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's all well and good. Grading comics is an interesting concept. Basically, for those of you who don't know, what you do is if you have a comic book, if you have a comic book that you think is rare or valuable, or even if it's something that's just meaningful to you, you can send it off to a uh, couple different places. The main one is CGC, which literally stands for Comics Grading Company. Yeah. And they will look at it, and they will do 80 million different tests on it, and they will put it in a Lucite slab and stick a sticker on it with a number on a scale of 1 to 10. And this, you know, instantly wraps up the value by $200, regardless of whatever comic it is, yeah. so they claim. And, uh, you know, it fix a number to it, and... The slabs look kind of cool when they're on display. But there's the problem that they are vacuum sealed. Mm -hmm. So you now no longer can read said comic. Yeah. And now this was all well and good. You know, for a while people would get different things graded, and people would have them, you know, on display. And some people still do. I mean, you see good photos online, or if you go to different conventions of things, big just walls of slabbed comics, and that's fine for what it is. But uh, the 90s and really into the early 2000s, and especially when superhero movies started coming out, the Nolan Batman films, the Marvel MCU, Mm -hmm. even some of the earlier ones, like the Spawn movies, and uh, or not Spawn, the Blade movies and things, uh, grading got serious, collecting got serious, and it wasn't just a matter of, you know, do you have Amazing Spider-Man 300? Well, yeah. It's, oh, but it's only a 7.0. Well, you know, know about, you should really buy another one. You should really do this. You should really... What? Yeah. <laughs> what, like, what? And... It became a matter of people were collecting grades. They didn't care about the comics. They didn't read the comics. Uh, They never displayed the comics. They never put them out anywhere. And the best analogy, I think, right now, and again, it's my background, and it's another one of my passions, but you look at uh, comic books, and you look at cars and car culture, more specifically. I mean, cars are never going to go away, whether they become electric or hydrogen or whatever in the future, we're still going to have cars, especially in America. We just don't have the mass transit system, but car culture is pretty much dead.
1: Mm.
0: I it? mean, I'm in, Oh God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm in a car club. Uh, I'm the youngest member by about 35 years, give or take, uh, you know, aftermarket modifications, they're out there, but nobody's really into them. I mean, just working with Allison, who's one of my younger colleagues at the museum, she's the only one amongst her friends, and she's much more social than I am, but she's the only one amongst her
1: friends who has a license. Kids these days don't even want a license. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I remember back when I was a teenager, my brother was super into, like, doing up his car with aftermarket stuff. And I thought someday I was gonna get into it, never got into it. But at least you were exposed to it.
0: Yeah. And see, I think that's where I got it from. I and mean, obviously, I was exposed to it at a super young age. And it seemed cool. Like it came out as cool. Uh, same thing with comic books. I mean, I had, you know, my uncle had <laughs> oodles and oodles and oodles of comics. And I would go down there after school, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, here, read these, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't, now I look through them, you know, like the new mutants with the, the first Deadpool, you know, some of the early uh, uh, Cables, some of the early Wolverine runs and um, Beast runs. You know, he was big into the X-Men. You know, he had all these just laying around in a box. Yeah, go ahead, re- read them. Eh, you know, take them to school, show your buddies, whatever. Just let me get them back in a week or two, you know. And that was cool. That made comics cool. Mm. Uh, now nobody, nobody sees them. Nobody gets to read them. Nobody, you know, I mean, even... My nieces and nephews, they come over, like, up, up in the bar room. I have all these comics. They were, oh, comic books, you know. And My sister-in-law, oh, don't, don't touch the... So ah, let the kid read the freaking comic. I mean, you know, don't read some of the Harley Quinn ones or some of the Lucifer ones, but let the kid read the comic <laughs> book. You know, I mean... Maybe not
1: Hellblazer that young, but, you know. No, yeah,
0: no, we got to wait for that. But, and so, and, and you look at comics right now, especially on the DC side, they're fucking dying. Yeah. Like, there's a very real chance that modern, new comics aren't going to exist within the next 10, 15 years. I don't want to be doom and gloom, but it could happen.
1: No, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're definitely starting to see, like, DC's collapse at the very least. Yeah, And so,
0: you know, a sort of a reaction to this, there's been an interesting uh, movement to collect comics and not grades. And so you see a lot of videos on YouTube and you see a lot of posts on different message boards and even, God forbid, Reddit, where people are buying some of these rare high-grade comics, taking them home and just taking a sawzall to the slab (laughs) and breaking the comic out and going through it and reading it. And it's really kind of cool. It's really kind of empowering. And, you know, we need we need more people to do that. And we need less, you know, three and a half million dollar sales of individual comics. Yeah. Although, you know, and my final point with this is, I guess and I've never been a big fan of them, but I guess trades are the answer trade paperbacks
1: yes. collected works.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, I am never going to own an Action Comics number 23. That's the first appearance of Lex Luthor. That's my personal holy grail. Never going to have one. Uh, The cheapest one I ever found was a 0.5 grade. Didn't have a cover on it. And it was (laughs) 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 $44,000. Because, you know, it was the first appearance of Lex Luthor. But I have the reprint of it. You know, my father loves Superman. You know, maybe our back-and-forth relationship is maybe why I like Lex Luthor so much. I don't know. Uh, I was able to get him for Father's Day one year one of the reprints of Action Number 1 with the, the number and the limited certificate and the whole nine yards. So, I mean, they're out there. Uh, you know, trade, trade paperbacks may be the reason, but then you don't have the cool art. You don't have the little comic to display. It's just, uh, I don't know, but... Basically, we need we need to stop letting people hoard comics. We need to stop letting people slab all these comics and put them away so nobody can see the goddamn things. And uh, yeah, don't give a shit about grades. Grades don't fucking matter. No, well, comic comic grades don't matter.
1: Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> school grades may be important. Yeah, <laughs> let be, me rephrase that. Be
1: cool, stay in school, but don't grade your comics. Uh, yeah, yes. no, when I s- first started collecting comic books seriously, it was after I graduated college, and I actually had some money, and I started getting into, uh, you know, I, I never got into graded comics. I think I bought one rare comic, which was, like, issue one of spider Quinn. I think okay. that cost me 50 bucks, just because I, I really wanted she's one of my favorite comic characters, and I really wanted to own number one so um i that's the rarest comic I think I own, but my favorite part of my comic collection is this very long run. I've got like a hundred of them at this point easy, and it's uh the Marvel Baby variants by Scotty Young. <laughs> Uh, And and Mark has heard me talk about this before, but I've got like a hundred. You like you some Scotty Young. I do. Scotty Young's my favorite. Uh, I I talked briefly in a previous episode, uh, in our Indie Comics episode actually, about um, I Hate Fairyland, but his stuff is just great. And he partners with Marvel and every now and then uh, he will just do uh, a variant cover where he just pretends all of the Marvel characters are babies, and they're all doing like weird things. So, like for there was an Infinity War where they were all uh, like like climbing on each other's shoulders to play an arcade game, and uh, there, there's a really silly one with uh, Thanos uh, as a baby sitting in this giant throne with with a little uh, balloon. And they're they're all just ridiculous. So I I never really got into grade collecting like just to get your comics graded is like a hundred bucks per issue or something crazy like yeah it's
0: it's something ridiculous and it's like six to eight weeks on a normal basis yeah Uh, not counting the shipping each way like they receive it it's six to eight weeks then they send it back so really it's it's like 10 to 12 weeks and from what I've been reading with the pandemic, like they are so backlogged, you're looking at months and yeah. months to get your stuff back.
1: Yeah, and it's just I, I, I don't want to yuck any yums if if collecting graded comics is your thing, like go go do it. But honestly, like modern comics have so mu- so much good art and good plot lines running that like I mean, if you're into comics help save your industry, dude. Seriously. And I mean just remember, you know, all the
0: all the resales and everything, you know, three and a half, what was Three point three million for action number one. Uh, DC hell, not even DC, the estates of Siegel and Schuster. They didn't get a dime of that. Yeah. You know, a a resale, there's there's no money, it's all private
1: transactions. So, you know, if you don't buy the stuff now, yeah. Yeah, there's some great plots out there. And and Marvel and DC have been doing some really great diverse uh, character choices recently. Uh, there have been some great reboots of of interesting things. There's whole new plot lines and whole new heroes. Um, I, I, they rebooted. Isn't there like a uh, an Asian s- Superman right now? I believe so. Yes,
0: yeah. and they they've been doing some really fun things with uh, the Future Slate uh, because they're. Not quite else like the equivalent to Worlds, but they're not quite canon either. They're kind of in a fun little middle ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the ideas they've been kicking around with some of their bigger characters, they, they really make you sit back and go, hmm. Yeah.
1: Marvel's doing some cool things too. But, you know, DC's the one suffering, so. Yes. Marvel will be fine. They're owned by Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which...
0: Oh that I didn't even plan that but that's a great fucking segue. All right, go ahead now. See, I have to listen here cuz I did not know that you were a, a Mickey Mouse caterer. So Yeah, which is
1: absolutely absurd to me. How long have we been friends? Well, I mean, I knew you liked Disney movies. Yeah, you, you keep saying I didn't know I'm you the unobservant one. Uh-huh. No, yeah. no, no,
0: no, 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 no. You often talk about your love of Disney movies. You often talk about your love of Marvel, of course, which is now a Disney property. Uh-huh. But I don't think I've ever
1: heard you speak of the actual theme parks. Oh, I'm going to talk. So my segment right now is called How to See Mickey for $13 Altarian Dollars a Day. Uh, And And
0: suddenly the energy level has just picked up. It has.
1: Uh, So I grew up being fortunate enough that my parents, you know, took me to Disney world when I was really young. And then they started making a little bit more money and we were going like every couple of years and we live on the East coast. So we were going to Disney world. Uh, I can't actually recommend that as a model for most families um, I absolutely love Disney world, but, uh, that shit's fucking expensive. So I wanted to talk about, um, what I did with Holly a few years ago, cause she had never been to Disney world. And I am just a huge fucking fan of their theme park. Um, unabashedly. So I know a lot of people have complaints about Disney. Uh, I, I know that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, evil giant cor- corporation shit that could be talked about here. It's, stuff it. I don't want to hear it. Uh, it th- it's all been said. That's literally. It's without, the magical,
0: ma- most magical place on earth. God damn it! Yeah,
1: you know it's it's literally what the internet is for. Uh, if you want to talk about how bad of a corporation Disney is, go go find a forum somewhere. Uh, you can just stuff it because this is our podcast. Um, I love Disney World. Disney World is uh, made up of a number of different parks. And, uh, because I've been so many times, I, I know how to plan a pretty decent Disney trip at this point. Uh, so it, it, the, the disclaimer and caveat here is, of course, if this is within your means, by all means go. If you can't make it because financial or physical limitations, that's fine. Uh, I totally understand that there are many different walks of life, but I'm just going to talk about, you know, let's just assume from here on that you are able to afford a Disney world trip. Let's talk about how to keep a budget. So I recommend going for six days. Six days is usually pretty good. You've got, um, and I usually factor in about half a day on either side for the flight. So it's technically seven days go for a week. Uh, when you plan a Disney trip, Disney actually has this like website portal through which you can plan almost every aspect of your trip, and I've never seen anything else have this. Um, you can book hotel, you can book meals, you can book transportation, you can book pretty much everything. I think you mu- you might even be able to book like recommended flights. But those bounce you to the different website. So book through the website. Uh, it's like DisneyVacations.something or other. Uh, it's very easy to find. And you can book everything down to uh, like what parks you're going to on each day and what, uh, like what your park hopper stuff is going to be, whether you go to the water park, uh, what your fast passes are going to be. You can even book this really great thing called Photo Pass. It may have a new name nowadays, but I highly recommend it because there's some really cool things. You you'd actually don't need to worry too much about um, bringing a selfie stick and a camera. You, know, you can just kind of walk around the park, and any ride that has a camera, it'll automatically go to your PhotoPass account. Uh, I definitely recommend staying uh, on site if you can just because it makes your trip a little bit easier. You don't have to get in and out of Disney every day and traffic can get a little crazy when you know there isn't a pandemic so uh i tend to stay at the the disney all star resort there are some cheaper options on site as well but it's it's a pretty good budget hotel uh then disney has this thing called fast pass which at any other you know th- there's i'm pretty sure every theme park has a version of this where you show up you get a slip that says you can ride this ride and an hour and a half, and then you go off and play in the park, you show up at your time, you skip the line. Uh, the They rebooted FastPass, and now it's just a bracelet. And it's definitely worth getting the bracelet, because you can hook the bracelet. It's like a uh, uh, n- near-field kind of, NFC, one of those things. Um, and you can just hook it to, like, your credit card and... and You know, if you've got kids, theirs won't be hooked to the credit card, which is really good. But you can use it to, like, pay for, uh, you know, quick snacks or something like that. You know, shit out of a gift shop. Um, I recommend, they have something called the Park Hopper Pass, which allows you to go to multiple parks in a single day. And it's not worth it for your whole trip. Uh, it, it's worth it for like one or two days because there's some parks that you can do in half a day But most parks are a day day and a half And if you pay for park, park hopper and you don't use it It's just a lot of money to just be you know leaving on the table So I tend to just buy like one day of park hopper And I usually spend an extra half day at like Epcot and I do Animal Kingdom early in the morning Uh, Which gets me to, uh, like, what parks to see and how to do it in seven days. I do one day at the Magic Kingdom. I do one day to one and a half days at Epcot. I do one day at Hollywood Studios. Uh, I usually do one day at a water park, which sounds kind of silly, but a Disney water park. Uh, if you at all like water parks, it's just a next-level experience. Uh, they've done a really great job with uh, Blizzard Beach and Typhoon Lagoon. Uh, and it's worth going during... You know, Just spend the whole day. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then I only ever do half a day at Animal Kingdom. That might change now that they've opened uh, the the Avatar World, whatever it's called. I think it's called Pandora. Um, but uh, you... Generally, the best way to do Animal Park is go early in the morning, get the safari done, ride the roller coaster, see a couple shows, be done by lunch. Uh, and it's not because Animal Kingdom's not fun, and if you're super passionate about animals, feel free to spend the day, but uh, the animals don't do shit afternoon. Uh, it's just the way that wild, semi-wild animals work. So uh, if you want to do the the African safari, which is a really cool experience... Uh, you got to do it in the morning because that's when everybody's up and eating. And otherwise, you're, you're going to see, like, the tail of a lion, and that's about it. Uh, you're just a
0: regular David Attenborough. They don't do shit afternoon.
1: It's really true, though, especially at Disney. I, I don't know why. I've done the safari at all hours of the days and in, in all weather. And if you don't get there by, like, if you don't do it by, like, 9 or 10, you don't see anything interesting. <laughs> Uh, and then, I know I'm talking about Disney, but I recommend, uh, especially if you're a huge fan of Harry Potter, save a day and do a day at Harry Potter World in Universal. It's the one day you'll go off-site, and it's totally worth it. Um, my wife and I are huge fans, and we, we were able to spend an entire day just in the Diagon Alley section trying to find all the weird things you can do with wands. So, um, it, it, depending on what they've done to the other half, It may not be worth it to do both halves of Harry Potter World, and if you do, you have to pay for a single day of both park admissions. So I recommend if you're on a budget, just do the Diagon Alley half. You'll have a ton of fun. Um, I think, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. I think that's like five days worth. Uh, If you're able to stay for a sixth day, it's always worth having like a down day where you can just kind of hang out at a pool, maybe do some uh, downtown Disney. I think it's called Disney Springs now. Uh, Disney Springs has a really great Lego store. Uh, And then in terms of the parks themselves, uh, Magic Kingdom, uh, do all the mountains, do the Haunted Mansion, do the Pirates, do the teacups. Uh, There's some awesome kids' rides I recommend if you don't want the song stuck in your head for 20 years, don't do uh, It's a Small World. <laughs> uh, it, it, it will get in there, and uh, that ride, for whatever reason, uh, it, It's a Small World and Pirates of the Caribbean are the two rides that break down the most. And I have been on It's a Small World while it was broken for a straight half so an hour. So have I. I it's, don't recommend it's it. It's the worst. <laughs> Um, and then if you do Magic Kingdom, uh, try to schedule lunch at the Liberty Tavern. Uh, it's really great. Uh, they, they have really good food, and they do character dinners too. Uh, because it's 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 certainly problematic these days, uh, I don't recommend doing SeaWorld anymore. I used to recommend it. I used to be a really big fan when I was younger, but it, with... You know, captivity stuff and animal rights stuff and uh, some of the not wonderful things that have come out about SeaWorld. I, I don't recommend doing it. Um, but you can kind of get the SeaWorld experience by with a combination of the aquarium at Epcot and the water park. Uh, the the I've done both water parks and they each have, like, oceanography parts where you can kind of see animals and hang out with them. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, Epcot... I almost always recommend spending a day, day and a half at Epcot and split your time between uh, the world of tomorrow, which is all the futuristicy stuff, and then the World Showcase, which is, you know, around the world in 12 steps. Uh, I always recommend if you're going to spend a whole day at the World Showcase, uh, do lunch in Germany, dinner in Japan. Those are some of their best restaurants.
0: You know, you, you go full access powers and you leave my people on the table. You know, you don't, you don't eat in Italy. But okay, I see how it is. Do they even have Italy? I mean, they did, wasn't it? Yeah, no, they had Italy. It was by Norway. Because oh. I, gla- I actually have a glass upstairs that says Salut on it uh, from the last time I was at Epcot.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, if, if there's a good place in Italy, I've never eaten at it. Germany's always really good to do at lunch. <laughs>
0: I'm going to cut that out as a drop. (laughs) So people don't know you're talking about Epcot. We're just going to have a whole country pissed off at you.
1: (laughs) I love Italian cuisine. Get out. Um, And then uh, Hollywood Studios is amazing. Uh, Of course, they just added Star Wars world uh, and everybody should be a fan of that. Uh, So everything's great. Uh, Go on the rock and roller coaster and the tower of terror at least once. They're wonderful. Uh, Buy yourself a lightsaber, and then uh, schedule the After the Park Closes event. Each park has one, and uh, I'm going to be honest, I've seen them all. The only one that's worth doing twice is Fantasmic, and that's at Hollywood Studios. Uh, And you can do, like, a dinner package and go see Fantasmic, and I tend to eat at the Brown Derby. It's pretty good. So that... It's how to see Mickey for 13 Altarian dollars a day.
0: See, I have to just, you know,
1: tag on there.
0: I, Tower of Terror used to be awesome. The original Tower of Terror was awesome. Where they just picked you up the 13 goddamn stories or whatever the hell it was and they just dropped you. Uh, I, I remember going with the old man and it was not long after it opened and we went on it and we were like, holy fucking shit, this is insane. (laughs) And we spent like half the day just in line, just over and over and over and over again going to the tower of terror. And then, I mean, it was like six, seven, eight years later before we went back to Disney and you know, we had brought my friend Kyle with us and the the day we were going to what was still called MGM at the time. Yeah. We're like, you know, oh man, this is like the best ride. We got to hype it up and we got to do blah, blah, blah. And, you know, now they pick you up and they drop you a little bit. Then they pick you up and they drop you a little bit and boom, 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 boom. And it's fun and it's whatever, but it, it's not the same as it was. And so, you know, Kyle was like, you guys fucking lied to me. You know, you pulling my leg, whatever. And so we get off the ride. We're talking to one lady that's working there. We're like, were we nuts or whatever? And she goes, oh no. That's the way it used to be. And then some guy died. Yep. <laughs> he went into cardiac arrest. And we're like, oh, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah.
1: If you want a ride that, that I think is equivalent for, for thrills with the original Tower of Terror, do the mission space at Epcot and do the not safe version. That's the one where they launch you. Right? Yeah, that, that, they, yeah, they I've pull that. some serious Gs, and they had to add a safer version that didn't spin quite as much because a kid with uh They, they think the kid may have had a pre-existing condition, but either way, the kid died. It, it was really tragic. So, um, yeah, th- there is two versions, but one of them spins you... It spins your capsule, but it also spins in a giant thing, and it's basically a centrifuge, and it's amazing.
0: Yes. Yeah, no, I, I did go on that once uh, in one of my trips down there, and it was, you know, like, basically, it's the closest thing any mere mortal will get to some of the NASA training. Yeah. And it's fan-fucking-tastic.
1: Yeah, and then there's the Epcot car ride, which I can never remember. Test Track. The test Track. Yeah, <laughs> Test Track is still worth it th- to this day. Uh, It's so much fun.
0: It's so much fun, and it is a fairly accurate representation of some of the tests, at least, that cars used to go through. And, uh, you know, when it's not really super raining, you can get up to some decent speed on the banking. At least you used to be able to anyway. Yeah.
1: But but anywho, I could talk about Disney all day, but we are running a little bit over. So what do you got? Us? No. (laughs) Well,
0: um... (laughs) this has been something that I've been doing this week and we touched on it a little bit when we were talking about our hot takes for video games. Yeah. And it's whether or not a game is, you know, you hear people say, well, that's a great game, but that's not a great X game. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it be, you know, Sonic or Mario or whatever. And I never really understood this line of thinking. I mean, oftentimes I'll, I'll drop it. I'll be like, ah, that's not really a whatever game, but it's never really been an argument that I've really bought into just because I never really understood it. Well, PlayStation being PlayStation, there was uh, another sale a week or two ago. I think this was the spring sale or the, you know, uh, what the hell, waning gibbous moon phase sale. You know, they have a (laughs) sale for fucking anything, you know. And Fallout 76 was $13. Was it and worth during the $13? Our, well, we're going to get there. <laughs> uh, during you know the Hot Takes and Whiskey, I had mentioned that 76 was the only Fallout game that I hadn't played, uh, aside from the RPG, which I now have the reprinted book, the modified book. So really, 76 was the only piece of Fallout media I had never played. And I said, for $13, I have to. I just have to complete the set. I have to try it. And I've been playing it now for about two weeks. I mean, not consistently, but, you know, for two weeks. I think I'm level 14. It's not terrible. Yeah. Now, that being said, I wouldn't say it's good. (laughs) But it's not terrible. Um, and I freely admit that I, from what I understand from talking to a few of our friends who've had the game and from reading reviews, the game as it is now is almost 180 degrees, completely different from the game as it launched. So the game as it launched was probably just fucking horrific. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you were reading a lot of different things. Oh, it's not, it's a good, it's fine. Even the people that, that, you know, most people were just like, it's a pile of shit, it's awful, don't buy it. But even the people that were like, it's a good game, they're like, well, it's fine. It's a fun survival game, but it's not really a Fallout game. Hmm. And having played it for two weeks, I can't really agree with that. Okay. Um, You know, you have the lore, you have the culture. I mean, the assets are ripped literally right out of Fallout 4, only they're cleaned up, they're prettier. Uh, they tie into some pretty deep cuts, you know, about the vault project. And the gameplay is very similar with only two exceptions. They've added a survival element, and now I know half of you are just screaming at the at the, your phones or whatever ah but you know survival mode you get hungry and you get thirsty and everything i never played any of the fallout games in survival mode oh yeah dear god no so you know if you want to make fun of me go ahead and make fun of me i never played any of them in survival mode well in 76 it's on all the time you can't turn it off there is no other mode so you have that but again it was at least present in the other games and then the other thing is they've made vats completely useless because the game, of course, is an MMO, but not massive. So I guess an an MO <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a thing? A multiplayer online RPG? An MORPG? Uh, it's a meho. It's a meho. That's a good. That's a good way of putting it. And uh, because of that, you can't do turn-based combat. You can't pause. So. You know, originally in the early games, VATS was the way you did turns because the game was, you know, esoteric. It was completely turn-based. It was a true RPG. And that was when Bethesda took over and released Fallout 3. People got really hot because it was live action with a pause, basically, in VATS. But I actually never really minded that because that gave you the turn-based feel. You paused everything. You took your shots. Then it came back, and the enemy took their shots. Now it just sort of highlights the enemy. (laughs) It's still live action. It's still real time. It gives you a percentage to hit that has no correlation to whether or not you're actually going to hit it. (laughs) Um, And because of that, you have to rely on first-person shooter gunplay in a Fallout game, which none of them were ever intended to do. And it's pretty horrible. (laughs) So I I could see that, but at least, you know... The fundamental gameplay, especially from 4 and 3, and to a lesser extent, New Vegas. I mean, New Vegas had the same perspective and everything, but New New Vegas was, dare I say, a Gaten game, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. You know, that was sort of a different thing. Uh, And it made me think about the opposite end of the spectrum. In a game that I played about a year ago that I was super hyped for. It was the total opposite of Fallout 76. Fallout 76, I was not hyped for when it came out. I didn't buy it after over until two years later. And even now, I'm just sort of like, yeah, it's fine, whatever, I could say I played it. Yeah. The opposite end of the spectrum was a game that I was super hyped for. I pre-ordered. I downloaded at midnight on the day it released. And that I beat and haven't picked up since.
1: And that's Doom Eternal, See, I still don't see what your complaint is, but to be fair, I've only ever played Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal. Uh, Doom Eternal is probably the only game that
0: I think I could sit down and sort of, if somebody says, that's a great game, it's a great first-person shooter, but it's not a good Doom game, that I could kind of get. I could kind of get behind that. Uh, You know, uh, And I'm going to let rapper Ice-T speak for me here. This is a real thing. This is a real tweet. Shout out to AJ for sending me this. Uh, Ice-T tweeted out at one point last year, man, Doom Eternal, I'm enjoying the game, but I hate all that fucking jumping. (laughs) What? Just just had to get that out. (sighs) Now, Doom, any of the Dooms, you know, whether you played the ones for DOS and Windows, whether you played any of the ports, or whether you played the 2016 remake, you know, D- Doom 3 had some of it, but that was more of a survival horror. But if any of the Dooms, they had some platforming. And it was fine, because it was just some platforming. Doom was always a frantic, hectic first-person shooter game that had a platforming element to it. Doom Eternal is now basically a platforming game (laughs) with monsters. (laughs) Uh, It thinks it's Metroid. You know, okay, so you have to rocket jump over here, then you have to shoot your grappling hook, and you have to swing across the ledge while doing a double backflip with your jetpack, but you have to bullseye six imps in the head over this gap while you do it. And if you mistime any of those, you're going to fall into a lava pit and instantly die. It's like, I just want to shoot the gun. (laughs) (laughs) I want to kill that thing. That, that was literally the entire story of the first game. The entire story of the first game was one paragraph on one page in the instruction manual. You are an unnamed Marine. You're on Mars. They opened a portal to hell. These are demons. Go kill them.
1: <laughs> that was
0: the whole story of Doom. <laughs> now they have just pages and pages and pages and pages and pages, and pages of stories, and, which is great. I actually really like the story of Doom Eternal, but the game sucks. I don't like it at all. I haven't played any of the DLC. Don't want to buy it. Don't want to give them any of my money.
1: Mark's uh, a big old so,
0: fuddy-duddy. I am a big old fuddy-duddy. But to show you that tropes aren't always bad, and we'll wrap up on this because I know we're running long, uh, you know, we mentioned Gaiden games before. That That's a whole trope for this. It's a game in a series that doesn't fit in, whether it be storyline-wise, whether it be gameplay-wise, whether it be whatever. They call them a Gaiden game. And, you know, you have some that are considered... Absolute Rejects, which um, one of the biggest ones is actually a game which I love, ironically enough, and that's Silent Hill 4. Did you ever play Silent Hill 4? I've never played Silent
1: Hill anything. I don't like horror.
0: (laughs) Oh, all right. Fair enough. Um, I I liked some of the earlier Silent Hill games. You know, 1 and 2, of course, are just some of the absolute classics, but I really liked 4, and it's totally different. No game before, no game since after it was ever like it. It had a weird, like you know, hub world where you were trapped in your apartment and you had to do different things. People absolutely hated it, and the reason was it wasn't designed as a Silent Hill game. It was supposed to be an independent horror game project, and uh, you know, Capcom was running late. Or yeah, Capcom's Silent Hill. There's a Konami, whoever it is. They were they were running late. I think it's Capcom. I'm going to Google it. Um, they were running late, and they just basically stuck the uh, Silent Hill label on it. Uh, I really liked it. you know. People, oh, no, it is Konami. Okay. I, it was Capcom or Konami. Capcom is uh, Resident Evil, so it's Konami is Silent Hill. So save your hate tweets. I looked it up. Uh, but on the other end of the spectrum, you had a Gaiden game that was great, a Gaiden game that I know you played and I know you love. Oh? Resident Evil 4.
1: Uh, Resident Evil 4 was... Really interesting, but I couldn't play it. Because uh, I had it on the GameCube and I didn't have the reaction times down. And I just was really bad at it. The only f- Resident Evil I've ever beaten was Five.
0: All right, fair enough. Well, Four, especially if you play, you know, One, Two, and Three, Four is totally night and fucking day different. It's a run and gun shooter, it's not a horror game. You know, it's basically. A crazy action, you know, it, it, compared especially to the first Resident Evil, and to a lesser extent 3, but 3 got pretty actionized. But compared to the first two Resident Evils, uh, Resident Evil 4 is basically Call of Duty with zombies. I mean, it's just chaos. And the reason for that was, do you know what Resident Evil 4 was until very, 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 very late in its development cycle? No. No. It was the prototype build for Devil May Cry.
1: Huh. I can see that, looking at Leon.
0: <laughs> right? And I don't remember all the details, but they basically spun it off into a Resident... They basically went in a different direction with uh, Devil May Cry and made the Devil May Cry that we know and love. And they said, what are we going to do about this? And they said, hey, we'll make it a Resident Evil game. And, you know, the game is great, and I love it, and... Uh, it has a history. Has vindicated it. It was not that popular when it came out. <laughs> Don't let the revisionist historians fool you. People were very upset with this fast-paced run-and-gun game. The problem was it was addicting as shit. Uh, so it ended up. It was a long runner. It ended up selling really well. They released it on a million different consoles. And you could argue that that's the franchise original sin that you know kind of killed Resident Evil with five, six, and then. Well no, seven was the good one, so five and six. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll have that. And then they had to reboot it with seven. But so, you know, just because something's a Gaiden game doesn't make it terrible. But so yeah, that's that's my thoughts on, you know, games that aren't true games. Fallout seventy six to me feels like a fallout game. It's not a good game, but it is a fallout game. Doom Eternal, eh, I'm just I'm just not feeling it. I don't know. So if you if you folks think of any that you think aren't a good entry in a series, write us, you know, a, a, at the wit and at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. I'm I'm curious. To, do you have any yourself, DJ? Any entries that you're just like, no, not feeling it.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Um You know, I used to really like it, and I haven't been able to go back to it since, and I think it's probably Mega Man Legends. Okay, that's fair. I really liked, I mean, it was Mega Man 64 back in the day. Uh, And honestly, like, I go back now, and I'm like, this is not a Mega Man game. I don't know what this is. And I know a lot of people like Mega Man Legends, but I'm not a fan. Though I keep finding that I like, I end up liking what is wildly panned online as the worst entries in the series. So maybe I only (laughs) like Gaiden games. I mean, you might, I
0: mean, you know, to be fair, that's me with, with Silent Hill 4. I mean, Silent Hill 1 is still my favorite, which again, isn't the most popular answer. It has to be like two or nothing apparently. But Silent Hill 1 is still my favorite. Before was a really fun fucking game that does not get enough love just because it
1: has the Silent Hill label on it. Yeah, that's fair. I I mean consider like I mean Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah, we both love that. Yeah. Nobody else does. I mean it really does feel like a Gaiden <laughs> game, and I can't tell you how many times I played with those chows. Yeah. There there is something to be said for that. Yeah, and I mean I tend to like uh like Tony Hawk's underground games and I know a lot of people hated them cuz they broke the pro skater format. I like the uh, the Need for Speed Underground games and a lot of people don't uh, I have talked to a lot of people that don't like those cuz it's not just running away from cops. I don't know. I I feel like every time I I'm like I like this game I hear, "Oh my god, that's the worst. How how could you?" <laughs> like my fa- favorite Final Fantasies are 13 and 15 and nobody likes those. Hey, at least you didn't say
0: your fi- favorite Need for Speed was Undercover, because then, you know. No, Carbon, dude. That, that might have been the end of this podcast if you had said Undercover.
1: Mm.
0: But no, I Carbon it. was okay. I, 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 carbon was fine. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely not the worst. I, I, I really liked the, like, giving your crew orders in the middle of a race
1: thing. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But that wraps up Potpourri and Whiskey. Jesus Christ! I hope so. Yeah, uh, I think we're just going to release this as a longer episode because you know it's our our second to last episode of season two. You know why not? Why not leave you guys with a slightly longer uh, episode before our last one? Uh, so we, of course, want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we would love to ask you if you would. If you like what you're listening to, if you would just go out and uh, subscribe on your favorite podcatcher, we are in 22, 23 different places now. Twenty three. We're almost at an even two dozen. Yeah, it's uh, we're finally on Pandora. We're on Spotify. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, and and all sorts of good places, and uh, many many podcatchers that we don't even know about because they just kind of feed off of other things. Um, so if you, if you like us, uh, go out and subscribe. If you want to throw us a review on iTunes uh, or an Apple podcast, that would be really cool. It helps uh, kind of bump us up in the charts a little bit. Uh, you can find us if you want to reach out and recommend some topics for season three or some whiskeys you'd like us to review. Uh, we're uh, at the wit and Whiskey Cast on Instagram and Facebook. We're whiskeycast at gmail.com. And, uh, that is an E in whiskey and no H in wit. Yay. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, we do release right here every Friday morning ish. Uh, we're, we're going to work for season three to kind of line up the pod bean stuff a little bit better and, and make sure that that's a little bit crisper. Um, Just remember, (laughs) if you're out West, you're fucked. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Because I know some of them go earlier,
0: some of them go later, depending on uh, time zones. But basically, if you're listening to us on the West Coast, I'm sorry, you'll get us early Saturday, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. it all depends on on how things matriculate out. Uh, We try to make sure we're up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the very least by 8 a.m. on Friday mornings, but... Uh, You know, it's a kind of a crapshoot with 23 other places that we go. So I do find it interesting, though, that, you know, I I I can spy on all
0: of you now. I'm getting analytics data from all of our podcast uh, podcatchers, And it seems like the bulk of the downloads, regardless of when they actually pop, the bulk of the downloads are between three and four p.m. So I think we're getting some
1: nice little drive time love from our listeners. Oh, I love it. That would be amazing. Uh, so topic next week, man, do we, do we want to tell people what we're doing?
0: I think so. Uh, this is something that we had been kicking around for a little while. And, uh, when Brian was here, uh, you know, for the strategy episode, he just said, you guys should fucking do it. And it, it he thinks it'd be a good idea. So we're going to do what we are t- tentatively titling drinking buddies and whiskey. Yeah. And we are going to answer the age old question. Of if you could pick any three people, living or dead, to drink with, who would it be and why? Yeah, I think it'll be and, really exciting. And I think we can give the spoiler alert. I think we both agreed that, uh, amazingly enough, we're neither one of us is going to pick Hemingway.
1: Yeah, I don't think any of us are going to pick no. Hemingway. Because so I know I'm not. So. Sorry to <laughs> disappoint any of you literary fans out there. Yeah. But Hemingway's not making the cut. No, so. no. He- Hemingway pops up in every cocktail story. He's everyone's drinking buddy.
0: Yeah, so just go and listen to the 80 other million episodes of 80 other million podcasts that have done the same topic. Yeah. He'll be on all of them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And of course, we want to thank Nuno Henry Silva, our, our silent third partner here for our intro and outro music. We, we, we just we love him. We, we do. really do. We love you, buddy. And uh, we'll make sure to keep sending you to his SoundCloud. Go check out his stuff. Uh, and I'm going to get the uh, name of his blog, I think. And I, I think he's been building out a blog. So we'll, we'll uh, send you out there at some point, too.
0: Um, and
1: when you're on his SoundCloud, go and follow our SoundCloud. There isn't anything on there yet, but if you
0: follow us, you'll get a notification when we do put something on there.
1: It's true. Yeah. and uh, I, I'm really excited for season three, guys. We're we're starting to come up with some new segments. We're looking into getting some, some new guests. So uh, stick with us after, after next week. We... Uh, We should have some good stuff for you coming.
0: And as always, if you have topics, hit us up—social media, email, you know, comment sections of reviews and whatnot. Let us know if there's something you want us
1: to talk about in season three. Yeah, definitely. But until next week, salut! Cheers.